podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Nothing's good, boys and girls, but welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast anyway. Today is Wednesday, the 1st of September. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. It allows you to go online, access things you're geoblocked from, keeps your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. So check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and download the Etsy app on your phone and look up the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops. Lots of good merchandise there, so check those out. Ladies and gentlemen, I am having a very bad day. A very, very bad day. Liverpool Football Club continue to spit in the face of its fans. If it wasn't bad enough that following winning the Champions League, we were fed the line that Liverpool are focused on keeping their top talent and won't be signing many players this summer. And they didn't sign anybody. They signed Adrian and a couple of kids. Last summer, they went and they got Thiago. They went and they got Jota. That was great. You know, really good. This summer, we were fed the lines that top four was imperative for Liverpool to secure their top targets. The Redbird investment was going to cover the losses of COVID and Liverpool will be able to act normally. Liverpool will definitely target a midfielder and attacker. These are all things that were said by local journalists who are well-informed and, in large part, they're fed these things by the club. And instead, Liverpool signed Ibrahima Kanate, a deal that they knew they could do in January. They then spent six months being cheap about it, ended up having to pay more money than they would have because they insisted on paying his fee in instalments and not a one-off. So they had to pay a very now small minimal amount, but still more money than they should have paid. His signing was confirmed in June. That left all of July and all of August for Liverpool to address the issues of their squad. Those issues are, starting at the back, they do not have good enough cover for Alison Becker. Now, it's not a massive deal. They've got young Kelleher. He's a decent young keeper. They decided to keep Adrian fine. They still have Carius, whatever. It wasn't a massive need, but it's something you'd like to see them do. And when people say, oh, it's very hard to find a goalkeeper to come in and be back up to a world-class goalkeeper, yeah, it probably is if you're looking for a very good 25, 26, 27-year-old but probably much easier if you're looking for an elite level 20, 21, 22-year-old who you can bring in, develop, and then sell when they're too good to remain as a backup. The same situation exists at right back. Liverpool have been trying to sell Nico Williams. It's very clear that Nico Williams is not of the standard required, and he wants to go play somewhere else. But unfortunately for Liverpool, they put unrealistic price tags on players trying to be smarter than everybody else, trying to sell their duds at higher prices. And the league has caught on to them. Everybody saw what Bournemouth did, paying 15 million for Ibe, 6 million for Smith, 19 million for Solanke. Everybody saw what happened with Sheffield United last year, paying 26 million, including add-ons for Rian Brewster, who went a whole season without scoring goals, and now doesn't start for them in the championship. 
Everybody saw these things and people are now wise to Liverpool. But again, you could buy a young right back, develop them for two years and then sell them at a profit. It's a very easy way of doing things. You pride yourself on making players better. Centre-back, they're fine. You would ideally like a better fifth centre-back than Nat Phillips, who they, again, were desperate to sell all summer. Nobody wanted to buy him, so they gave him a new contract, which seems like a bizarre way to run your business. They've got a decent left-back. They've got a whole bunch of injury-prone midfielders. They've got a 31-year-old captain who's declining an injury-prone. They gave him a four-year contract. They wouldn't give a contract to the never-injured, ever-present Ginny Wijnaldum, who missed 10 games in the league over five years and departed on a free in the summer. But they'll give a four-year contract to a 31-year-old who's not as good, not as versatile, wasn't as important to the team, and missed 17 games last season alone. So again, that's not a very good way to run your football club. In attack, you, sorry, in midfield, you've also got the likes of Oxlade, Chamberlain, Keita, who we're told are really important players, yada yada, we don't need a midfielder because we have those players. You had them last season and wouldn't play them. Simple as that. In attack, they've got Salah, still world class, Firmino, two seasons of decline, Mane declined massively since where he, from where he was 18 months ago. And Diogo Jota, who's probably best off as a fourth attacker coming off the bench. But if he's a starter, he's still a quality player. You're happy to have him. And that's it. So if anyone gets hurt, they've got three and nobody else. Oh, but they've got Taki Minamino. I hear you scream or whisper because you'd be ridiculous to suggest that the player Jurgen Klopp loaned out in January and said wasn't tall enough, that's why we loaned him out, uh, is going to be a real option. Oh, but there's Divock Origi. Let's remember what he did in 2019. Let's remember what he did in 2018 and 17 and 16 and 2020 and 2021 instead. Let's remember the fact that even with nine people available for the bench, Divock Origi's not making the bench. Liverpool were desperate to sell him. And they couldn't. So they're stuck with him. So he's not a real option. Minamino's not a real option. Liverpool needed to bring on an attacker against Chelsea to try and win the game when they had an 11 versus 10 advantage. What happened? Taki Minamino on the bench. Keep your backside on the bench, son. Where's that left back? And the blame is to be shared between Jurgen Klopp and the ownership. Now, less blame, obviously, for Klopp, but I do believe he's too stubborn. I think he's too close to the players. I think he's too sentimental. I wonder if maybe the owner's attitude of winning isn't everything has filtered into him a little bit. You can be certain that the Jordan Henderson contract extension comes from Jurgen Klopp. And that's fine. He wants to keep his captain. Fair enough. But four years? He had two left. He wasn't going anywhere. Nobody in the in the right mind believes that PSG, Atletico Madrid, or any of the top clubs in Europe would be interested in a 31-year-old injury-prone player who wouldn't start for any of them. Nobody believed any of that. If he was going to leave, he would have to drop down a level to a West Ham, no disrespect. To an Everton, no disrespect. An Arsenal, big club, but levels below. No disrespect intended. That's where he would have to go. Those are the clubs that would be interested in him. And he wouldn't want to go there because he wants to win. So he was going to stay regardless. Andy Robertson was contracted till 2024. And they had an option to extend that for a year. He didn't need a new contract, but they gave him one. I don't have a major problem with it at all. But when you look at his contract, Trent Alexander-Arnold's contract and Alison Becker's contract, on top of the Henderson contract and the Nat Phillips contract and the Reese williams contract, you start to get a picture of a group of players who were not going to leave unless you decided to sell them. Being given new contracts 
And then those new contracts being used as the excuse for, well, we can't buy anybody because we spent all our money on new contracts. The only three contracts that needed to get done this summer by Liverpool Football Club were Virgil van Dijk, Fabinho and Mo Salah. And right now, Mo Salah doesn't have a new contract. Mo Salah is the best attacker in the league and he does not have a new contract. But Jordan Henderson has one. The fellow whose contract expired in 2025 has one. The goalkeeper who was contracted in 2024, he got one. Trent Robbo and, and Allison are great. They're brilliant, best in class. But their contracts didn't need to be prioritised this summer over signing players. If you'd signed Salah to a new contract for, I don't know, 400 grand a week, and that was the reason, fair enough. But the other thing is, contracts don't need to be signed during the summer. They can wait. The only three that needed to get done this summer, Virgil, Fabinho and Salah. And Liverpool fans should be really annoyed about this. Because this is the second summer out of the last three where we've been fed the line they prioritised keeping the players they had over signing new players. Two summers out of three since winning the Champions League. And yes, they won the league title the season after winning the Champions League title. What did they win last year? And is two trophies really enough to justify this team, given how good it is? Is two trophies enough from six years of Klopp? You've got one of the best managers in the world, one of the best teams in the world, in terms of starting 11, maybe the best team in the world. And you've won two trophies. I don't want to hear about Super Cups. The European Super Cup is a pre-season friendly. It's the community shield of European football. The World Club Cup is a little mini tournament designed to make FIFA money. Exhibition matches. They left a league title on the table in 2019 because they were stuck with Dejan Lovren as the fourth centre-back. And when he played, he was a disaster and cost them points. Solely responsible for the defeat to Man City. They left the Champions League on the table in 2020. A fairly weak field in the Champions League that year. Bayern Bayern were great. PSG were pretty good. But Barca were bad. Real were bad. None of the other English teams stepped up that year in the Champions League. They get knocked out by Atletico Madrid. They could easily have beaten Bayern Munich. They'd beaten them the previous season comprehensively in the alliance. They could easily have beaten PSG. A team with absolutely no work rate. But they didn't. They left those trophies on the table. Every single season, Jurgen Klopp is forced to look at the four trophies he could compete for, take two of them and throw them out the window. And people can say, oh, but domestic cups don't really matter. Yeah, they do. They matter to Pep Guardiola, who's won the League Cup four years in a row. They matter to Mourinho, to Wenger, to Ferguson, to Conte, to Carlo Ancelotti. They used to manage it, manage to uh, matter to Rafa Benitez when he was Liverpool manager. But Jurgen Klopp is forced to decide, I can't compete for them. Because they don't have a good enough squad. I can't rotate enough to compete for the League Cup and the FA Cup. And I can understand maybe not prioritising the FA Cup because the final is at the end of the season when you're pushing for a league, you're pushing, pushing for the Champions League. Fine. But the League Cup is always a great springboard for teams. Win that silverware in February and it boosts everything for you. Your players get a new level of belief. They get re-energised and they can go for the end of the season. Why do you think Pep every year sets out to win it? He doesn't just do it for his ego. He does it because he knows the mentality that it creates. 
What was the first trophy Mourinho won when he arrived in England? Better yet, what was the first trophy Klopp prioritised himself when he arrived in England? The League Cup. Rafa did the same. And these restrictions are put in place on him by the ownership. Now, he's a little bit complicit because he doesn't need to come out and say the things he says. You know he doesn't believe them. He doesn't mean them. But he says them because Jurgen Klopp's number one thing is keep everything in-house. Promote unity, promote strength, promote togetherness. Now, this is not to say that FSG forced Klopp to say anything. That's nonsense. He did the same thing at Dortmund. At things he clearly wasn't happy about. When Gotze agreed to go to Bayern Munich before the Champions League final against Bayern Munich, and then got a little hamstring or, or thigh injury and didn't play in said final. Klopp didn't have a bad word to say about him. When Lewandowski ran down his contract and left for their biggest rivals, he didn't say anything about the club that could have sold him multiple times over. Nothing bad at all, because that's not his thing. And while he will have pushed for Henderson's new contract, you can be guaranteed he also had words with, with Henderson about airing dirty laundry in public, which is what Henderson did when he, is, he and his team went to David Ornstein with that, that story about Liverpool not stepping up with the contract offer that he believed he was worthy of. But all of this comes from FSG. All of this comes from ownership who refused to put their hands in the pocket. Liverpool won the Champions League in 2019 and since then have a net profit on transfers of 14 million. How? It's not like they've sold anybody good for big money. It's all been small sales, 10 million here, 5 million there. In that time... They've sold 14 more players than they've bought. They didn't have a whole massive amount of players to begin with. Because they've insisted that Edwards and whoever else is in charge of sales, probably Julian Ward, ring out every single penny they can get and refuse to allow certain deals in the past, like a sale of Gruyich to Hertha Berlin, a sale of Harry Wilson to Burnley last year, uh, a sale of Shakiri to Roma. They've actually cost themselves money because they were offered more before than the nine and a half million they got for Shakiri. They've been offered more than the ten and a half million they got for Grujic. They've been offered more than the twelve million that they got for Harry Wilson. So we're trying to outsmart everybody and stick to these prices. They've actually cost themselves money. They set a flag out in the ground this year for Nat Phillips. We want fifteen million for this fella who last year we couldn't give away to a championship club. But he had a handful of good games. So don't believe your eyes. Look what, look, look what we're telling you. We're selling you this guy 15 million. And nobody wanted him. So now they've given him a new contract. They'll be lucky to get 5 million from next summer. FSG in trying to outsmart everybody else have actually outsmarted themselves. But they've also been exposed because, again, you win a Champions League. You're the number one team in Europe. You've just finished second in the Premier League with 97 points. You can make a real argument. You're the very best team in Europe. You do nothing. You feed people the line of, oh, we're focusing on contract extensions. You win a Premier League. You buy some players. Good. Last summer, absolutely. A little bit short. Didn't cover the centre-back position. Why? Because we had to sell a centre-back to buy a backup left-back. Because the owners wouldn't foot the bill. You think Jurgen Klopp was happy going into last season with three centre-backs? Two of them being Joel Matip and Joe Gomez, who were always injured? Of course he wasn't. Nobody could have foreseen the Van Dijk injury, but Liverpool were playing with fire anyway. They're doing the same thing again this season. In midfield. In attack. 
Klopp likes to list out the eight midfielders he's got. Let's go through them. Fabinho, world class, best in, best in class in his role. Thiago, world class. Jordan Henderson, decent, injury prone. Naby Keita, talented, frustrating, injury prone. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, injury prone. James Milner, 35 years of age, not good enough anymore, injury prone. Curtis Jones, 20 years of age, a child, can't make the bench at the minute. Clearly not rated that highly, is he? And Harvey Elliott, he's 18. You've got Allison, Virgil, Fabinho, Thiago and Salah. All world class. Trent is borderline. Robbo's borderline. Mane was world class. And you're pinning your hopes on an 18-year-old. Is that what I'm being told? Up front. Salah. Jota. And then what? Two players who've clearly declined. And two players you clearly don't want. What happens if Mo Salah gets hurt? What happens if Mo Salah gets hurt? Does anyone really think Liverpool are challenging for anything? If Jota, Firmino and Mane are the front three for even five games. Let alone ten. Let alone half a season. You look at FSG's tenure as ownership of Liverpool. They're approaching 11 years. Three trophies in that time. Again, I don't want to hear about Super Cups. I don't want to hear about World Club Cups. Three trophies. A League Cup in 2012. Nothing. For seven years. Nothing. In the entire time they've been in charge. The season they won the League Cup. They finished mid-table. And the form over the second half of the season was relegation-worthy. They challenged for the title in 13-14. Challenged for the title in 18-19 and won the European Cup. Won the title in 19-20. And that's it. Three title challenges in 11 years. Three. Three seasons where they won things. One of them they finished mid-table. And it's... Look. Go back and look at the ins and outs. Their first window... They signed Suarez and Carroll. And everybody thinks, this is great. We're signing players. Ignoring the fact that we sold Torres and Babel. They were very, very fortunate that they inherited a club or bought a club and inherited a player in Fernando Torres who wanted out. And that fifty million enabled them to go and buy Suarez and Carroll. But they didn't just do that. They sold Ryan Babel, who Liverpool could have kept and probably needed at the time to make up the difference. They put none of their own money into that. Summer 2011 remains one of the biggest disasters. This is their first real let's go all in summers. And they entrust the decision making to Damien Camoli, a great scout, a dreadful director of football. And Kenny Dalglish, who'd been out of football for about 15 years, well, about 10 years, before getting the job and then been made permanent. Charlie Adam, Stuart Downing, Jose Enrique. At what point were any of them ever going to be good enough? A 21-year-old Jordan Henderson for £20 is the only signing from that window that isn't an unmitigated disaster. And that window burnt them. The following summer, they looked all around looking for a new manager, got turned down by everybody, end up with Brendan Rodgers, bring him in. 
They give him Barini and Joe Allen while selling Aquilani and, and Charlie Adam. Nets spend about 12 million. Not very good. Players brought in, not great at all. Allen was a, Allen's a talented player. Allen was a good player. But Barini was a mess. In the January, then, they go and they buy Sturridge and Coutinho. A desperation throw of the dice. Let's build around Suarez. Let's see if we can become something playing an attacking style of football. They gave Rodgers more money to spend per summer than they've given Klopp. They gave Kenny more money to spend per window than they've given Klopp. The summer of 13 is when the transfer committee really starts to get rolling. Now, they'd done the deals in January 13, brought in Sturridge, brought in Coutinho, Rodgers had wanted Walcott and I think Wesley Schneider. Either way. Luis Alberto, Iago Aspas, neither of them were. Both have done brilliantly since leaving. Both very good players. Both signed by the transfer committee. Rodgers ignored both of them. Simon Mignolet, Tiago Alori, never worked out. Huge talent. Couldn't stay fit. Never got on the pitch. Never got an opportunity. Uh, Mamadou Sacco would be Liverpool's best centre-back up until the day your, um, Virgil van Dijk arrived. But they sold Andy Carroll, John Joe Shelby, Stuart Downing and Jay Spearing that summer. So the net spend, again, is minimal. They're not spending any money. But Suarez goes nuclear that season and almost drags them to the, t- the title. So the following summer, they sell Suarez... And they spend about 40 million net spend. But it's a mess. Lalana, Lovren, Moreno, Balotelli, Markovic. Emery Chan is the only successful signing from that summer. Probably the most derided of them, mostly by jealous people who just can't get over how beautiful the man is. But Emery Chan is by far the best signing from that window. They don't replace Suarez, and the team falls apart. They bring in Jurgen Klopp, and you think, okay, now you've got the manager you want. You've gone cheap under Rodgers. You've you've rarely spent big money other than the one year we almost won the league. But what you missed was that the guy who almost won us the league has actually left the building. So you bring in Jurgen. Oh, before they brought in Jurgen Klopp, they let Rodgers spend another spend another load of money. But again, it's only about 20 million net spend that summer because Edwards is working masterpieces to get big sums. But you've also sold Raheem Sterling, another player they inherited. Didn't have to buy him. He was in the academy. Got very fortunate that he developed so they could go and spend on Benteke, on Klein and Bobby Firmino, the only good signing of that summer. Well, Danny Ings as well, but he, you know, injuries and, and whatever else. So you bring in Klopp. And the first summer he's in charge, you think, you really want to go for it now. You've got the manager. You've been chasing him since the day you came into the club. He's turned you down twice before. Now you have him. Surely you back him. First summer under Klopp, a net profit of $15 from sales. A net profit. Now, they are helped by the fact they got Joel Matip on a free. But still. A net profit. 17, 18, they do go pretty big. Virgil comes in in the January after Salah, after Robbo, after Ox. But Coutinho goes. And all things being equal, including add-ons, Liverpool actually made a big profit of that year. Now, they did buy Coutinho, so credit to the club for that, but FSG didn't pick him. Michael Edwards picked him. And Coutinho's value, he was never a £105 million player or 146 with the add-ons. That's just how much he was worth to Barcelona because Barcelona, at the time, were the stupidest club in Europe. Having lost Neymar, 
they had to bring in big, exciting names to replace him. So they overspent for Usman Dembele and then overspent for Coutinho. But again, Liverpool did all that, making a profit. 18 is the summer they did go big. It's the only summer they've actually really dug deep into their pockets and spent big money. Naby Keita, Fabinho and Alison Becker. It's a great summer. And what happens the next year? Liverpool win a Champions League. And then that group of players, along with Virgil, are core to winning the Premier League. Win the Champions League and they buy nobody. The team is good enough that they carry on while others fall away. City, etc. So they win the league. But last season... City bounce back, Liverpool have some injuries because the squad is left light and they lose out. Because the owners don't put enough money into the club because the owners won't back the manager, back the recruitment team. By the way, Liverpool's recruitment team is the best in the world. You give them any kind of money to spend and they will spend it brilliantly. The problem is they don't get nearly enough to spend. And now the director of football or sporting director, Michael Edwards, he's leaving. And there's... Multiple theories as to why he's leaving, but you have to imagine he's probably sick and tired of having his hands tied behind his back. Again, this summer, they just don't do enough. They've never done enough. Yes, it's tremendous that Liverpool have won a league title in the Champions League. But is is three trophies enough in 11 years? Because it's not for me. It really isn't enough for me. Two trophies is not enough under Jurgen Klopp. It's not Klopp's fault, it's the ownership fault. They're not ambitious enough. They don't actually care about winning, they want to compete. And as long as Liverpool are competing, they think we'll all be happy. Top four is the aim for Fenway Sports Group, because that keeps the money rolling in. The Nike money, the standard chartered money, the TV revenue. That's what they want. All that money to flow in and very little of it to flow back out. And yeah, we'll hear about the wage bill. The wage bill at Liverpool is so high because you're cheap. Because you pay low basic pay to your players or lower basic pay. It's very high, obviously. But lower basic pay to your players than your rivals, you're forced to pay much bigger bonuses. All those contracts are hugely incentivized. Virgil makes a fortune off clean sheets. Mo Salah makes a fortune off goals scored. And yeah, the fact that you're paying that money proves that the team is being successful. But last season you weren't successful, you won nothing. Because you punted on two trophies before the season began. Excuse me. And then you got injuries. And those injuries meant you couldn't compete in the other two. You went out of the Champions League against a bad Real Madrid team. Finished third in the league behind a bad Manchester United team. Because of some injuries. Because you left the the squad short. Because the ownership wouldn't pony up and pay for what was needed. And this is a never-ending cycle with them. We've had reports from David Ornstein... That FSG's vision is that Liverpool will build a great team, compete for a few years, and then decline while rebuilding another great team. That's not how football works. It's not baseball. Just because that has worked for you in Major League Baseball, where, by the way, you had the best team in baseball in 2018, and you're on the verge of missing the playoffs for the third straight year. You traded away the best player you've had in 60 years. Best positional player in 60, 40, 40, maybe 60 years. He might be the best positional player they've had since Ted Williams. And you traded him away and got nothing back because you were too cheap to pay him what he was worth. He went on and won a World Series last year. You're trying to bring that model into football. It won't work. When you have 
a world-class team, you build from that position of strength. And look, they've done much more good than bad. Much more good than bad in terms of changing how the club operates, growing the commercial side, the improvements at Anfield, the new stand, the second new stand that's on the way, magnificent stuff. But that doesn't help the team win. What that does is it increases revenue, which puts money in pockets. Because it's not going in the team. What it does is it increases the value of the team. The value of the club, so that when they want to sell it, it's worth more. Same goes for the training ground. It's fantastic. But let's not pretend you've put nearly enough money into the academy over the years. Look at Liverpool's academy and then compare and contrast with Chelsea's academy. Chelsea invest massively in their academy. So do City. Liverpool don't. And we could get into how they've treated the women's team. Because that's a, that's a disgrace. The fact is, these owners, as good as they have been, and they've done more good than bad, without question, I would say the only really bad things they've ever done, the ticket increase, they went back on that pretty much straight away. The decision to furlough staff, they went back on that straight away. And I'm struggling after that. Because going into the Super League wasn't a bad idea. Going into the Super League was a good idea. It's what they had to do. Otherwise, they would have been left behind. But unfortunately, the model they have means they'll probably get left behind anyway. Because you look at Liverpool's team now, right? The, the, the starting eleven, Allison. Trent, Matip, Virgil, Robertson. Henderson, Fabinho, Thiago, Salah, Firmino and Mane. And people can say, oh, but Jota, Bobby is the starting number nine. Jota scored two and two in the first two games of the season and got dropped for Chelsea. And Bobby was in. Bobby is the starting number nine. So Liverpool's starting 11 is 10 of the same players who started in Madrid against Spurs in 2019. Alisson is, is the same as he was then. So is Matip. So is Robertson. Trent has improved. Virgil is the same, but he now has a surgically repaired knee. So he's not quite the same. Fabinho is the same. Henderson has declined and is more injury prone. Thiago has replaced Ginny Wijnaldum. That's the only change. Now, Thiago's a better player than Ginny. But in that role, not as good. Not as suited to that role. That's an off-ball, more defensive role. Thiago wants to play that right-sided role where Henderson is. The problem is, Henderson can't play the left-sided role. We saw that against Chelsea. Salah is, is the player he was. That's fine. But Firmino has declined. And Mane has declined. And look through the squad. Joe Gomez now has a surgically repaired knee. James Milner's older, worse, more injury prone. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has declined. Naby Keita is still the same frustrating player. He was. They've got Jota. But Origi's not as good as he was. Shakiri's gone. So you can make an argument that the squad is a little bit better. A little bit. But the team is worse. The starting 11 is worse. Because of the declines of Firmino, Mane and Henderson. Because of the awkward fit with Thiago. Because of Virgil's injury. The team is worse. And Chelsea have gotten better. United have gotten better. Leicester City have gotten better. 
Manchester City have gotten better. Now, people will say, oh, well, City didn't get a striker this year. We're talking over two years. Three summers, but two years. Factor in who City bought last year. Factor in who Chelsea, more importantly, who Chelsea bought last year, who are now managed by a real manager, not a PE teacher. That's the other thing to factor in. They've got a real manager now, a really, really good one. Won a Champions League last year, if you didn't notice. The only thing holding United back is their midfield isn't great, and they've got an, a mediocre manager. On the topic of said mediocre manager, the nerve of Gary Neville to say that he doesn't think signing Cristiano is enough to get them over the top and put them in a position to win the league. Magnificent stuff. If anyone else was managing United and they'd signed Sancho, Varane and Cristiano, Gary Neville would be saying it's title or bust, title or bust. So that's just that. But back to Liverpool. All of these rivals are getting better. And Liverpool have gotten marginally worse. You had a real advantage. And you've let it slip. And that's unacceptable for me. And I know Liverpool fans say, oh, but we won a league and we won a Champions League. You should be happy. And I am happy that we won them. But you know what will make me happier? Winning the next one. And you know what I want to do after we win the next one? Win another one. I'm not saying Liverpool should go and win the league five years in a row. But they should challenge five years in a row. They should be in the mix five years in a row. They managed two. And the clock is ticking on this team. Because Klopp's got three years left at the club. Van Dijk is 30. Surgically repaired knee. Matip is 30. Injury prone. Thiago's 30. Injury prone. Salah's 29. Mane's 29. Declined. Firmino's 30. Injury prone. Uh, declined. Henderson's 31. Injury prone. By the time Klopp leaves, all of these players are going to be three years older. And you're looking at Trent, Joe Gomez, Kanate, Costa Simicus, Nabi Keita, and Diogo Jota. Of the players he might actually use, they're the only ones who will be below 30 years of age. And of them, only Trent and Kanate are definitely going to be good enough to be first-choice starters for a team that wants to win the league. That's worrying. And this is the... The situation FSG have put themselves in. You're going to be hard pressed to find a manager like Jurgen Klopp. Of his caliber to come in and accept the constraints that Klopp is asked to work under. Conte wouldn't do it. Simeone wouldn't do it. You're not getting Pep. Allegri might. Tuchel. If he's gone from Chelsea, maybe. Maybe. That's it. Tuchel or Allegri. You've got to hope one of them's out of work because if they're not, you're in a bad situation. You got very, very lucky that Jurgen Klopp was available. Would he have taken the job seven months later when Chelsea was available? When United was available. Would he? We can say I wouldn't work for those clubs. Really? Do we know that as a fact? Or are we just choosing to believe it because it suits what we want to think? I'm going to take a break. Been a long first half to the show. When we come back, I am going to go through the other 19 clubs 
have a quick look at what they did yesterday and maybe set some early expectations on what they should do this season. See you in a second. Right, hello and welcome back. So, before the break, I was ranting endlessly about Fenway Sports Group and Liverpool. And uh, apologies to non-Liverpool fans, but it is what it is. I'm in a bad mood today. Liverpool have done this to me. They spat in the faces of the fans yesterday. And it's the second time in three years they've had a really bad summer. So, let's have a look at other clubs. So, what did everybody do yesterday? So, Arsenal signed Takihiro Tamiyasu. I really like this signing. I think he's a really good player. I'd like to say they were laughing on Sky about agents offering him all around and he's not really a right... Nonsense. Kava hasn't a clue what he's talking about. He's not getting texts from agents. Please. Please. The man hasn't a clue. This is a really good signing by Arsenal. And if Arsenal summer had been him, Odegaard, Lukonga and Tavares at a spend of about 60 million, you'd say, you know what, that's actually a good summer for Arsenal. Well done. You've bought in good players that fill needs for you. But unfortunately, you know, they overspent on Ben White, overspent on Ramsdale, sold Willock. Loaned out Guendouzi, loaned out Saliba, just bad decisions all over, all over the place. My expectation for Arsenal is that they will finish eighth or below. That's where I think they are, eighth or below. Uh, Aston Villa, quiet day yesterday. All business wrapped up a couple of weeks ago in truth. Little bit surprised that they didn't do more. But I like what they've done. I think they build on last season, and I think top half for them this season. Brentford, again, quiet day yesterday. Didn't get anybody in. They were working on a couple of deals. Doesn't look like they came off. Or they didn't come off. We know they didn't come off. So, survival is the, is the aim. It's got to be the aim for them. I don't think they've done enough, unfortunately. But what I will say is they've got a goal scorer in Ivan Tony who might just get them enough goals to keep them up. Brighton and Hove Albion. Cucurella confirmed yesterday. Abdullah Sima confirmed yesterday. Immediately loaned out to Stoke. I think they've left themselves short. Um, they've left themselves short up front. They need a goal scorer. They didn't get one. They've Gotten an obsession with Darwin Nunes and wasted large chunks of the last two seasons trying to get that deal done. It hasn't happened. And if he has the thing for them is if he has a good season with Benfica next year, they're not going to be in the mix for him because the price will go beyond what they can pay. Overall, they had a pretty good summer. I do really like Sima as a long-term piece. I like Cucurella and Wepu as pieces for now. But I just don't think they've done enough. I think they will be the middle of the bottom half of the league, between 13th and 16th. Don't think they'll go down. Don't think there's any risk of that. But I don't think we're going to see the step forward that they were hoping for without that goal scorer. I hope I'm wrong, because I do like the club. Uh, Burnley, Connor Robertson yesterday, really good signing. Allegedly only two and a half million, so bargain as well. International player. Fills that right back need. Did they do enough this summer? No. But they did more than Burnley normally do. So for that you give them credit. I think like Brighton. They'll be in that middle of the bottom half. Um, 13 to 16 sort of region. Uh, Chelsea. Chelsea got Saul. Chelsea got Saul. In a mental three-way move for Atletico Madrid, got Griezmann. And Barcelona got Luke de Jong. Just absolutely bizarre. Anyway, Saul is a brilliant addition. World-class midfielder. Good enough to start for any club in the league. He'll play 
with Kante. He'll play with Kovacic. He can be the the sitter while they go and press high up the pitch. Or he can be the one that goes box to box playing next to Jorginho. Brilliant signing. Brilliant signing. Chelsea, in my view, favourites for the title right now. If they'd gotten Kunde, it would have been a wrap. But I think I have them right now as the favourites. But they will be top three this season, I think. I can't see any way they finish below top three. Um, Crystal Palace. They got the odson Edward deal done. They'd been looking for a goal scorer. They finally got him in. I really like their summer. My question mark is over the manager. I think there's a risk that they could get dragged down this season. Because I'm not sure on Vieira. At the minute, I think I've probably got them 17th. I'm working out my my predictions for the season. I'll, I'll go through them probably tomorrow. But I think I have them 17th at the moment. But I am a little bit concerned about Vieira. Promising signs at the weekend against West Ham, though. So, you know. But the, the lack of Ezzy for the year, that's, that's just hard to overcome. Everton. Uh, Solomon Rondon in on a free transfer, uh, 1.7 million gross spend for the summer, having thrown money after the last bunch of managers. Strange. I assume that's how Rafa ended up in the job, that other managers that they approached turned it down based on the lack of money to spend. So I will say that I think Rafa gets them top half, but barely. Barely top half. I, I think if he gets them 10th, they'll have done well. Um, Leeds United. Daniel James, an overpaid, though again, I like the player. I think they've left themselves a little bit short in terms of depth. But I do think Bielsa is still a great manager. I do think they might have a little bit of a step. A little bit of a step back. Uh, Last season, they finished ninth. I think they'll finish in the upper half of the bottom half, if you know what I mean. Like 11th, 12th, 13th. 11th or 12th, really, is where I have them. Second season's always tougher. If they can stabilise in the middle of the middle of the table, I think that's an absolute win for them. Build again next summer, and maybe you can make a push for Europe. But I, I do think if they, if as long as they survive, they've done well. If you survive your first two years in the Premier League, you can then establish yourself. And I think that's the aim for Leeds. Uh, Leicester City... Adam Ola Luckman in on loan. Really, really good addition. Quality player. They've had a cracking summer. I think they miss out on Champions League. I think they might have missed their window. But I do think they'll be fifth or sixth. I think them and Spurs right now I have in that kind of fifth, sixth uh, region. Liverpool. Um, well, they didn't do anything. They signed a bunch of players to contracts. Liverpool have taken the approach that they're good enough to win everything. So, anything less than the title, and I'm calling it a failure of a season. Simple as that. Anything less than winning the title, or the Champions League, win either of those, fine. Win nothing, failure. Simple as. Get second, failure. Um, It's just a position you back yourself into when when you don't have... A good enough summer. When you decide that you don't need anybody for whatever reason, title or nothing. Manchester City, uh, not a whole bunch going on yesterday. Um, finally got that deal for that Brazilian KK done. It had been done for ages, but I think the stuff was only really signed off on yesterday. I think he's moving into um the academy team to begin with but he's very very talented um city is also title or bust now it's different for them it's because they won it last year and they spent 100 million on jack grealish and because of how they spent the money over the years it's title or bust for city anything else is a failure in the premier league simple as uh and manchester united again sorry you signed cristiano ronaldo you signed rafael varan you signed jaden sancho Title or bust. Anything else is failure. I think they'll finish fourth. 
But I think if they don't win the league, Ollie has to go. Simple as that. Uh, for Newcastle, staying in the division will be a success. They signed Santiago Munez on a an 18-month loan, which is bizarre. He sounds like a kid from, from the goal movies. Uh, they made an absolute mess of the Hamza Chowdhury deal for reasons known only to themselves. So, yeah, Newcastle stay in the division and it's a success. Simple as that. I think they could be in a bit of bother, but they should they should stay up because they've got good enough players. So maybe like 16th, but staying in the division is the expectation for them. Norwich, this is tough because I love what they did this window. I, I like Rashika, I like Gunn. I like Giannolis. I really like uh, Solis from what I've did, the game that I saw. Um, I like Josh Sargent. I love Ozan Kabak. I love the window that they put together. I'm hopeful they can stay up. I have doubts. But I think right now... I'll, I'll back them to stay in the division. The expectation is survive, and that's it. Southampton, unfortunately for the Saints, I don't think they've done enough. I don't think they've done enough. You lose Ings, you lose Vestergaard. You bring in Perot, he's good. He's not quite as good as Bertrand straight away. Uh, Adam Armstrong's a step down from Danny Ings, so I do think he's going to be a good player. Leandro's a, a sideways move, or maybe a slightly better centre-back than Vestergaard, but could take him some time. But, like, Livermento, Small, Simu, these are young players. They're probably players that are going to struggle a bit in the Premier League at, at their age, lack of experience. Again, survival is the is the expectation. I think they're going down. I have them in my bottom three. I, I think Southampton are in trouble this year, and I and I'm I love Ra- Ralph Hasenut. I think he's a tremendous manager, but I just think he's been dealt a really bad hand by the ownership. They haven't strengthened enough. You got three midfield players. Tottenham. Good summer. Emerson Royale in the door yesterday. Great addition. They terminated the contract of Serge Aurier, which was an interesting move. I suppose I can now share the story that Aurier hit Hugo Lloris in the changing room after at halftime in a game during the season. It was, I can't remember what game it was. He got taken off at halftime, but he, he punched Hugo Lloris in the face. Um, yeah, so I think they'll be improved. I think the expectation will be Champions League. I think they end up fifth or sixth. But they'll be in the mix for Champions League this season, I think. I just don't know what to make of Watford, is the honest truth. There's just so many unusual, bizarre players in that squad. I think they've made some mistakes this summer. I have them going down. Their expectation, I'm sure, survival, but I, I have them going down. I really like what West Ham did yesterday. Vlasic in and Alex Kral. They've been linked to him all season, all summer. It went real quiet. I said they needed one in midfield, at least one in midfield, and they got their one in midfield. Really good player, in on loan, believed as a good, favourable option to make it permanent next summer. He's a good player. He will fit in really well with Declan Rice and Thomas Suchek. Really clever business by West Ham. Well done, Hammers. Vlasic is great. I think they're going to be in the mix for Europe again. I have to say. They're going to be dependent on on Mikel Antonio staying fit. But I think Moyes is just... He's got something going there. And Moyes is a better manager. I said this all last season. Moyes is a better manager than people give him credit for. Last season, he should have been manager of the year. I like what he's done this summer. I like what the club have done. I still think they're a little bit short in one or two areas. I thought they were going to pull off a madness and get Tagliafico. There was a Dutch journalist said that they'd agreed a fee. It turned out it wasn't true. He would have been a great addition, but 
Maybe they go again in January. I think they'll be in the top eight this season. I could see them finishing seventh ahead of Arsenal. And finally, Wolves. So the Renato Sanchez deal fell through. They tried to sign Bubakar Kamara from Marseille. It would have been an excellent signing. Fell through. They didn't up their bid for Coletta Carr. They didn't go back for Botman. They're very short at centre-back. I think it's bottom half for them. Probably in that middle part of the bottom half that I mentioned for like Leeds and, and Brighton and Burnley. I think they'll be the fourth team in there. Newcastle, so probably for five of them. But I think they're in that mix and they could risk getting dragged backwards. I like a lot of the attacking talent. I just don't like the defence. And I, and I worry that they've left left another manager short of options. Um, so that's that. That is all 20. Uh, we might as well wrap up with a bit of gossip. We're pushing an hour, I think, about now. Killing, uh, sorry, Real Madrid were unsuccessful with a £189 million bid for Kylian Mbappe. He will now be free to negotiate a pre-contract in January to leave on a free transfer. Uh, PSG have more money than sense. Anthony Martial rejected the chance to join Lyon in a last-minute move on deadline day. Unlike Martial, Donny van de Beek wanted to leave Old Trafford only for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to block a loan move to Everton. Interesting. I think his agent came out and said that, and then United denied it. Um, Atletico Madrid knocked back an £18 million bid for Kieran Trippier. Hmm. They'd been told all summer that wasn't going to be enough. Anyway, Tottenham did not return with an improved offer for Adama Traore after having had a £30 million bid rejected by Wolves. Wolves demanded 50 million. 50 million would be ridiculous for him. Um, Wolves pursued a move for Bubakar Kamari. Yeah, that's fine. West Ham were keen on signing Jesse Lingard, but were not willing to ask United's 20, to meet United's 25 million asking price. 25 million is laughable for Jesse Lingard. Um, Newcastle failed with their attempt to get Hamza Chowdhury. Yeah. Well done, Newcastle. Rayo Vallecano are set to sign Former Manchester United and Chelsea striker Radamel Falcao on a two-year contract. He successfully negotiated the termination of his contract from Galatasaray and rejected several offers from Italian clubs to join the Liga side. Interesting to see a lot of players did the termination of contract thing um, this window. It's becoming more and more of a trend that we see. Arsenal sort of a big on it. Willian... Socrates, who was the other one they did? Mustafi, there was somebody else as well, I think. Um, they've they've terminated Arsenal have terminated more contracts under Edu than they've sold players. There's one for you. Um, France international Hossam Awar will stay at Lyon despite interest from Arsenal, Tottenham, and Real Madrid. Yeah, nobody really wanted him in the end. It seems strange. Leon have signed Jerome Boateng. Yeah, I mean, he's passed his best. He's, he's never all that great of a defender to begin with, but you know, he's a good signing for Leon. Uh, Crystal Palace were hopeful of signing Eddie Nketiah, but could not agree personal terms. I don't think it was personal terms. I think they couldn't agree a fee with Arsenal. Um, I think Arsenal were holding out for £20 million, which is great, considering he's out of contract next summer. Um, that's it then. That is the end of today. Uh, last little thing. The cringeworthy nature of Twitter last night as people kissed the backside of the spoofer with the catchphrase about what a great job he'd done all summer. Absolutely mortifying. But more mortifying is the fact that a million people followed him in the last month and he's now got five million followers. He's a spoofer. He's, he called the Saul Griezmann deals done at eight o'clock when they were nowhere close to done. He announced Griezmann is done. And then when the deal didn't get done in time, he said, let's see what happens. 
and people said he's been right step by step. No, he hasn't. He's guessing. It's what he does. He gambles and goes early on things. David Ornstein and Matt Law were the two that had all the soul stuff when it started yesterday. Not the fabricated nonsense that he'd been spoofing before that. Um, but yeah, Chelsea should send a bouquet of flowers to La Liga because if not for them, they would have missed the deadline for Saul because the Spanish window had closed and Griezmann hadn't been done. De Jong to Barca hadn't been done. And if not for an hour extension, it all would have fallen apart. Um, but yeah, don't be like the spoofer. And don't try and claim adulation for things that you didn't get right. It's just silly. It's silly. Radio, that'll do. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.